We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on into this edition of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Today is Thursday, August 18th. Today, we're putting our chips to the table. We're showing our cards. We are talking about our best ball exposure, talking about the players that we are most counting on uh, to carry our best ball success for the upcoming season. So big best ball episode coming your way right now. Let's start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. I'm your host, John McCackney, joined as always by Mario Puig. Mario, we are going to be discussing players that we have a lot of exposure to in best ball. We're going to be mostly working off of your list. I, I don't have quite as, as expansive of a best ball portfolio on underdog specifically. Um, as you might. So we are going to get into your percentages, get into some some big name players that you have a lot of, and then maybe some players, uh, you know, on the other end that that you have mostly stayed away from that are going high in drafts. But uh, I kind of wanted to lead things off uh, before we get into all of that um, with some discussion on some interesting uh, backfield situations. I want to kick things off in Kansas City. Uh, what, what's the latest there when, as it pertains to Ronald Jones? How much Isaiah Pacheco uh, hype are you willing to buy at, at the new ADP? I, I just scooped him on DraftKings this morning at around pick 150. I fe- felt like that wasn't too, too aggressive. I feel like it, it's gone higher for, for him. So that wasn't I didn't feel terrible about jumping on the hype at, at that particular point. But um, as it goes with, with this Kansas City running back room, you know, what, what are your thoughts right now and, and how are you playing it in best ball? Well, I might have already played it pretty wrong. It, granted, it was in the uh, like 11th, 12th, sometimes even I feel like 13th round. Uh, I've got quite a bit of Ronald Jones exposure on, on an underdog. And the basic reason I did was because uh, he was a cheap presumed backup to Clyde Edwards Hilaire in what we would otherwise expect to be one of the highest scoring offenses. So uh, that's pretty much all that I really needed as the basis for, for targeting at that price. And of course the uh, apparently false premise there is that he would be the backup because uh, I still 
can't really believe it could possibly be true, but it uh, appears to be some possibility that they just cut him, in which case I feel like there must be some sort of like off the field issue. And I, in which case I don't know why no one has reported on what it is. It must be out mm-hmm. there. Like it's the chiefs. Uh, they can't keep a secret like that. I would imagine if we have any sort of enterprising local reporters, but uh, maybe, I mean, there's also cases of teams media sitting on information for whatever reason. And, and uh, I don't, I don't know if that's what's happening here, but uh, the chiefs paid seven or they paid him what would be a, I think one and a half million uh, dollar contract this year, just for one year with 750,000 of that fully guaranteed, which is to say uh, if they cut him, they're still paying him 750,000 in addition to whatever they were paying to get him into training camp and whatever else. And 750,000 is just under three fourths of the cost that it would have took to just re-sign Daryl Williams to a one year contract. And if if they're cutting Jones, if they're so alienated by him and, and so uh, discouraged from what he's showing them in these these brief practices, then they they would prefer Daryl Williams in hindsight. And it's like, how would you not know going into this what kind of player Ronald Jones is? And it, it's hard to imagine them, you know, complaining about his running. It would have to be about passing down stuff. I thought it made enough sense for them to sign him anyway and just say like, well, you're just not going to play on passing downs. You're gonna you're gonna be out there and you're gonna get carries when we're running out the clock. You're gonna be out there for short yardage or whatever else. Uh, you're basically going to pick up the slack that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at 5'7", 204, with two years in a row of injury troubles, might not be able to pick up, which is to say a lot. You know, it's like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is too small, more or less. He's not exactly fast to make up for it. He's quick and he's, he's, he's you know, springy, but he's not fast. He's never going to pull away from defenders. You need to have him playing in space because he's never going to, like, pull away from a defense to create his own. I, I feel like it makes clear sense for them to turn Clyde Edwards-Hilaire into more of a pass-catching back less of a, a carry specialist. And then that's exactly what he looked like out of LSU. He was like a pass catching guy and they haven't used mm-hmm. him that way yet. So I thought it made enough sense, especially with Tyreek Hill gone, especially with the two high scourge that the, the chiefs offense always sees like, why not just have Clyde Edwards Hilaire do all the pass catching instead of giving the pass catching freebies to Daryl Williams and Jarek McKinnon. Why not give it to the running back who was actually a good pass catcher in college. And that you spent a first round pick on. And then if you're giving him less work as a runner to keep him from getting hurt, have some Ronald Jones type hanging around to pick up the slack because it's, it's easy mode in the chiefs offense. So um, with, with that point noted uh, the easy mode applies to the benefit of Isaiah Pacheco too. So I happen to be pretty high on Pacheco. I think he's clearly not a Darwin Thompson case, like the Darwin Thompson saga for, for people who are new. Uh, Uh, That's classic. And uh, boy, hook, line and sinker. Well, you were in when he was, in, in like the pro day time, you know, yeah, like yeah. When, it, when people literally did not know who he was and you were saying like, Hey, this guy at Utah state might be kind of interesting. Um, but then by the time training camp got around because of training camp reports about the like Darwin Thompson's getting first team reps, he was going in like the 10th round uh, in drafts. And I don't know if he had 150 yards that year. Um, so that's, I, that's a, I'm leery of a case like that too, but for whatever it's worth, I, I was saying at the time, like this Darwin Thompson stuff is nonsense. He's probably a fine. I thought I thought he was going to be a good like third down guy or something, which also turned out to be too optimistic. And yet I was pretty low on him relative to some people. With that noted, I think Pacheco is clearly a different case. Like I think Pacheco really is a player who could produce from scrimmage uh, in the Chiefs' offense. So even it, if he can't in some others, he's uh, found on that a little bit because uh, I think uh, you know I've seen uh, anytime that there's a hype case, there's always pushback, right? And, and I think a lot of people. We'll just look at Pacheco's production from Rutgers and be like, what's 
what's the point? Why I think it's a lot of people who simply who are bitter about falling for the Darwin Thompson thing the first mm-hmm. time, especially people who didn't actually ever find out who Darwin Thompson was. Like you had reasons. A lot of people didn't. A lot of people just heard about him and went like, oh, got to got to jump to the news because uh, it told me to. And so they just started they just started scrambling for Darwin Thompson, not knowing the first thing about him, not not knowing you know the difference between Utah and Utah State, not knowing how big he was, not knowing how fast he was, not knowing how he produced at Utah State, nothing. And they still just went head first. And when you approach these things as that kind of person might, then when you see Isaiah Pacheco case come along, you don't necessarily think about how you might have been wrong the first time. You're just experiencing it as Darwin Thompson again, and you like remember from putting your hand on the stove, oh bad. So you just kind of <laughs> blurt it out and you, you don't learn anything from either case. But Isaiah Pacheco is very different. Uh, T- Thompson was like 5'8", 198 or something, and basically ran a 4'6". He was quick and he had some interesting jumps and whatever. And he, he was a really good college player, certainly. Uh, and even now he's had a fine career. I mean, he's been getting you know NFL paychecks, be it on practice squads or as a backup or whatever, for like five years now. So he's, he's certainly no bum. But the reason that he was replaceable ultimately for the Chiefs is that he was a small guy who wasn't fast and didn't actually break tackles. Like he, he had some jukes and that's about it. And you don't really need jukes in a Pat Mahomes offense as much as you need the speed to exploit the space that he mm-hmm. earns from the safeties and the linebackers. And that's why like you get uh, guys like Spencer Ware, Damian Williams in there, like very basically functional players putting up huge numbers uh, because it's easy mode as long as you can exploit the space that Patrick Mahomes uh, earns for you. And Isaiah Pacheco, whatever else might be true about him, let's just say he runs with horse blinders. Like he, he barely even knows where he's going when he's running. In this offense, it doesn't necessarily matter because there's a pretty good offensive line to boot. I mean, it's not just that the safeties are playing back and that the linebackers are terrified about getting, you know, they're worried about where Kelsey is and if he's going to cross, you know, the field to where they're supposed to be if it's a coverage call. That uh, they, they have to worry about stuff like that. And by the time that they might figure out it's a run play rather than some kind of Kelsey sort of thing, it's already full speed Pacheco at them. And, and he's maybe got like three yards of space before he's getting into your range. And he's, he's running that four, four, five. And he's not big exactly. He's only like 216, 215. But I think once you're over 215 and if you're under, you know, the four, five, you can be a pretty explosive runner. And the thing about Pacheco that's, that's memorable with him is he's a very high motor guy and it's, you know, becoming a, a trope with him already, but it's, it's one of those things that is true. I mean, it's not just people talking about grit or whatever you watch Pacheco. He runs like he's crazy basically. So if he's, if he's fast and if he's got anchor to work with, which he does, and if he's running at a hot motor, if he's always at 110% and it's also an easy mode scenario, this is a player who will produce, I think if he's on the field, but I still can't believe they, that they would get rid of Ronald Jones because Pacheco was taken with the third to last pick of the regulation selections in the seventh round. If the chiefs really are, are, are going to cut Ronald Jones because they have Pacheco, like in light of how what a revelation Pacheco has been. Shouldn't they feel a little unsafe? Shouldn't they feel like they dodged a bullet barely and like maybe aren't even sure that they didn't get hit yet, uh, despite walking away from this 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 scenario where they have a, t- a, a, a 5.7204 back who can't really take more than 12 carries a game without getting hurt at a time when they need to run more and better than ever with Tyreek Hill gone and with these two high looks from defenses, if they hadn't taken Pacheco with that third to last pick in the regulation selections of the seventh round, would they have still cut Ronald Jones or would they have just gone into the year with Ronald Jones as this otherwise best option that they are in this timeline declaring non-viable for their roster entirely? That seems like a lot of 
it, like it would just be a terrible job on the part of the Chiefs front office, which it could be that's it. It could just be like they've just done a straight up horrible job. But it's a memorable instance of, of incompetence. If so, it's like this is as bad as of of a off season setup that any GM has arranged for any of the teams in the past five years. Kind of a level of failure because they need to be able to run the ball. And if they're if it's just Edward Tolaire out there. They are basically 12 carries away from the guy that they almost didn't pick in the draft at all, who's a rookie, seventh-round pick, taking up all of the backfield snaps. Because McKinnon can't run. I mean, I, I know people saw a, a wild-card game against the worst defense, the worst run defense in the league and think McKinnon's good now, even though he was bad for five-plus years or whatever before that. Uh, but it, it's it's just Edward Tolaire and Pacheco who can run if they cut Ronald Jones. And Edward Tolaire is super injury-prone, the other guy they almost didn't pick at all. So... I don't know. If at the very least they should be trying to trade for a running back if they can't keep Jones. Okay. Well, uh I think you you pretty much covered all of that from from, pr- yeah. <laughs> from pretty much every angle, but no, the, the people needed to know. Uh Julia uh, cre- uh frequent viewer uh does want to know how is Pacheco's uh skill set different than CEH? Well, CEH is a, you know, a smaller back, you know, like 58 like just over more 200 pounds. He's patient. Mm-hmm. Like that's the and, other edge of the sword with Pacheco is he's always shot out of a cannon. He's not like a a pacing runner, right? Exactly, and uh, yeah, Ceh a better pass catching guy. Uh, so yeah, Pacheco can can take uh, that dirty work, and and you know that rolls up for grabs. And it seems like right now, bad process, uh, not or aside that Pacheco seems to be kind of ahead of Ronald Jones at this point and Ronald Jones and, will, and McKinnon apparently. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we'll see. They could just keep four running backs, uh, but you know, it's, it, it looks very weird to me in, at the, at the, at the moment. So uh, needless to say, I, I am not really targeting Ronald Jones at this point with uh, plenty of exposure already at a higher price than he goes for now. Right. Yeah. So leave that uh, be. Uh, for now, are are you in on on Pacheco at, at where he's going currently? No, I like him, but I'm I I do worry. Like even if they cut Jones, what if it could be as simple as like Buffalo cutting Duke Johnson and the Chiefs claiming Duke Johnson, which by the way would be really a really like intense truther scenario for intense yeah. truther like experiment <laughs> for me because I think in that scenario Duke Johnson might just take over that entire backfield because unlike McKinnon, Duke Johnson can play running back. Uh, but yeah, it's just some, if, if, even if Jones is gone, anybody they replace him with could be a problem for a, a seventh round pick rookie. I mean, it's just, especially when you're talking like the 11th, 12th round, um, at that point, it's like, I need Clyde O'Dellaire to get hurt. And if he does, then it's then even another running back added, there's still room for, for Pacheco to produce. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't been able to, I, I would've maybe took him in like the 14th or 15th if he was available now, but I'd. Even if Jones is gone, I think they have to add somebody else. Like they just, they will be forced to because Edward Hilaire will break down again, if nothing else. Yeah, they they absolutely need, need uh, some form of depth, and they don't. They're 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 kind of they're just shrugging a at bit. the whole yeah. question of how are you replacing Tyree Kill? And if if they don't have Jones as part of that answer, then their their answer is well, we don't know. Hoping <laughs> we're just vibing they're, through it. We have Patrick Mahomes, uh, and yeah. maybe that maybe that what will be good enough. Uh, let's see. We got a question from Sam. Uh, Cam Akers or Elijah Mitchell, both a little injury prone, um, better uh, draft targets in PPR. I I really don't know. I mean, I, I have zero I Cam always, Akers. What's that? I have zero Cam Akers and I have a yeah, lot of Elijah no Cam Mitchell. Cam Akers, but he's to me kind of like the Ezekiel Elliott type where I just, it's not that I 
hate him or anything. It's just there's other players I like more in that range, so I don't pick him. Whereas Elijah Mitchell, I, I would like to target even more going forward because he's just you know a good two plus rounds cheaper. So it's kind of just you know a punt solution to the question, I guess, rather than confronting it. But if if for the same price, I think I'd you know especially if it's a trade league, I'd rather just have Acres because I I can't imagine most people preferring Mitchell. Uh, like I might, but I think one thing about Mitchell that that's important to understand is people are omitting uh, in his broader narrative, the point that he is going to be the passing down back for the 49ers. Whereas last year he was, he was basically just run package player and he was getting overworked as, you know, 20 plus carries a game. I think what they want to do this year is yes, get his carry count lower, but specifically because they're going to take away some of those, you know, short yardage carries, those thankless short yardage carries, not even like the high production ones. And then replacing them with snaps that went to Jamichael Hasty in the passing game last year, because Hasty is just a total drain on the offense. Uh, but he was he was their main passing down guy when it wasn't uh, the fullback. So uh, Mitchell, I think, could catch 50 passes this year, and everyone acts like it's just not possible for him because he didn't happen to catch many passes as a rookie. He caught a lot of passes at Lafayette. He can do it, and he's going to this year. Uh, it's called Louisiana now. Oh, sorry, Louisiana, the Louisiana <laughs> University. <laughs> yeah, it's get, kind of bold of them to just like claim that they are Louisiana. If now, I was but... Monroe, I'd just go and seize their facilities and say, "No, we are." No, yeah, you kind of you kind of have to. I mean, they're, you know, they're encroaching on their turf. Although, would you mess? Would you sooner mess with a Warhawk or a Raging Cajun? Probably. probably uh, you got to with the Hawks. Them. You got the aerial advantage, and you can swarm. Uh, a Cajun might be prone to wander out into the waters alone to look for crawfish and you just ambush him. Good point. Raging but, uh, or not, he's in the water alone. But they, the Cajuns, they got the dog in them. So I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a tricky debate. We'll, we'll get into that on, on the Patreon pod. Um, going back to acres for, for one more second here. Um, have you noticed any uh, fluctuation in acres ADP over the last month? Because, you know, we, I haven't we've seen, paid- yeah, I haven't paid good attention, but I haven't really noticed it, I guess. He, yeah, he's someone that I, I just tend to gloss over, um, you know, as that like late me. third, early, yeah. early fourth kind of starts to unfold. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I've leveraged myself in a, in a different direction um, away from acres generally. Um, let's go ahead and bef- uh, before we get on over to uh, more of uh, this backfield discussion, we're going to get to the Chargers in a second, a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And, okay, 
we're back. Um, so there, uh, Isaiah Spiller is someone who I think a lot of people were, were interested in. We, we've kind of been over it during the pre-draft process, a little bit overhyped, but then he, he lands in a good spot at a, you know, at a good point in the draft, you know, a fourth round pick going to the chargers, being that backup uh, running back to Austin Eckler after they, they were kind of unable to get much in the way of returns out of Josh Kelly um, and Larry Roundtree over the last couple of years. Do love Larry Roundtree, but uh, yeah, probably, probably not actually that good. Um, but uh, things things have maybe soured a little bit on on Kelly, or I'm sorry, on on Spiller, and maybe Kelly is going to be that next man up uh, to to take the not necessarily the work off of Eckler's plate, but you know, get, give him a breather. Yeah. So along with Ronald Jones, I have exactly one third exposure of Isaiah Spiller on Underdog. So uh, these two would arguably be my you know biggest liabilities. Uh, aside from whatever other stupid decisions I've made, these two are, are like in the meantime looking kind of sketchy. And I think it can both be true that Popper is uh, sorry, Daniel Popper, the the beat writer for I believe the Athletic, yep. is the one who put this this uh, this theory forward. And I have no doubt that he's like an astute practice observer and that he knows enough about football to know what's going on in the practice. And he's he's observed that Kelly generally has gotten uh, like, what has it been? Uh, it, it's things like they get three reps in a row as a unit. The first rep goes to Eckler. The second goes to Kelly. The third goes to uh, Spiller most of the time. Uh, this is something that has been fluctuating over the course of training camp. So it's, it's one of those things like, I don't, I don't know if we know it's going to be the case next week. And we don't know if it matters in the meantime, or then if it does change, uh, it could just be kind of like ceremonial kind of walk through kind of stuff uh, because it it's just, it's hard to know exactly what each team is doing on a case by case basis. You don't know the kind of mind games coaches are playing, especially with rookies. It's, it's a very common football thing to do this thing where you're like, you got to earn your stripes. Uh, you got to earn your stickers, rookie. You gotta, you'll get out there when you, when you earn it. But for now you're carrying the shoulder pads and your fourth string, you're not even going to make the team rookie, you know, just total, like bluffs coaches do that all the time with guys that they know they're going to be riding uh, in the second half of the year. Uh, Like Bill Parcells, for instance, was like the guy as far as that goes. Um, And and he's maybe the most influential single coach of the past like 30 years in the NFL. Um, So a rookie being held behind a terrible, clearly useless veteran in a practice with zero stakes is something that has happened a lot of times to no consequence. Um, and even if the, the thing that's crucial with Spiller and the reason I'm not nearly as anxious about my Spiller exposure as I am my Ronald Jones exposure is that, hey, he's going to make the freaking team. You know, there's no question about that. And B, let the Chargers give this Josh Kelly thing a try if they really want to. I don't think there's any reason to truly believe that they do. I don't think they can. I don't think they're the resolve to anything necessarily, but even if they really are going to, they're just like, Oh, Josh Kelly's just so reliable in practice. How could we ever put him behind a rookie, this unknown rookie? Like, well, Josh Kelly has logged 144 carries in the NFL. They've gone for 456 yards. That's less than 3.2 yards per carry. John, I don't it's know the last, I don't know the last time a running back got to 150 carries in the NFL while averaging less than 3.2 yards per carry. Um, I, I think Kelly's going to get uh, six more career carries. I'm not saying he's he's going to get cut before he gets six carries. But if the Chargers want to try this out, would anyone like to guess how this turns out for them? Like it's, it's not going to work. They will turn to Spiller out of necessity. 
And it's also possible that with you know three weeks to go before the season actually starts, we could just get to practice on Wednesday of next week. And if like Kelly, you know, is either in the spot that Spiller was last week or just just some other sort of thing that that just, you know, totally overrules whatever significance we thought last week's practice reports had. So, um, you know, if, if the same report is happening the week leading up to week one, maybe I'm going to start worrying about Spiller. But even as a former Spiller skeptic, the, the, the idea that Josh Kelly is going to get in his way for more than, I don't know, 20 snaps uh, seems completely impossible to me. Okay. Yeah. So, so that, that's one to, to maybe, you know, buy, buy the dip if there is one yeah. on Spiller. And then I think you uh, should feel safe buying the dip on Spiller, assuming you don't have like too much exposure already. Like I do. Okay. Yeah. I, I was in consideration for him do, doing a best ball th- this morning, but uh, I ended up going in a different direction. I forget exactly who I, who I scooped at, at that particular point. It might've been uh, someone that that everyone is soured on, and it's not Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And I don't I didn't feel good about this pick myself, but I took Miles Sanders, in like the uh, ninth in like the round ten, in the ninth. ninth oh, okay, round, something like that. So I think he was usually going in like the seventh before, and I wasn't picking him there. But yeah, I don't even know what My, Miles Sanders can definitely run. That's one thing about him. It's just kind of like how much is there of that to do with Jalen Hurts running so much himself. Um, but yeah, if Sanders, it'd be funny if like uh, if Sanders got traded to the Chiefs or something like that. Like the, the the Eagles don't really seem to have a use for him. I don't know why they don't try to move him. Uh, but uh, if Sanders gets carries, he will produce. That's that's never really been a question with him. No, all right. Well, you know, he's. I think he's like my third running back there. So, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, before we get on over to um, our, our best ball portfolios, I uh, got a message from our sponsors. Leading us off here is our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Do you love fantasy sports? Are you ready for a new challenge this year? Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an actual franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You will have complete control over your team's future. You can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, and manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a dynasty of champions? Sign up now at dynastyowner.com and use promo code ROTO5, that's R-O-T-O-5, to receive $5 off any new team. That's R-O-T-O-5 over there at Dynasty Owner. We also got a message from our friends over at Fantrax. Is there something you wish your fantasy league had or features that are missing from your current leagues? Bonus scoring, custom schedules or playoffs, deeper team settings? Well, look no further because we have you covered with our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty, keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Join MLB All-Star Jock Peterson, who recently announced he's moving his fantasy football leagues to Fantrax. Fantrax is excited to announce the Fantrax Game Day Experience Giveaway. Fantrax will be sending one lucky fantasy football league to a regular season NFL game of their choice, along with $6,000 towards travel and accommodations. All you have to do is uh, all you have to do to enter the giveaway is to create or join a league on Fantrax. The more leagues you create and join, the more chances you have to win. There's a reason why fantasy players who who try Fantrax make it the permanent home for all their fantasy leagues. Go to Fantrax.com slash and sign up today. All right, pushing onward. 
uh, get, getting into the, the meat of today's episode after uh, our opening discussion on some backfields out in the AFC West, uh, particularly. Let's get into some players that you have some very high exposure to in best ball. Uh, I think these are, you know, it's an interesting group. It kind of gives me, uh, and you'll you'll run this piece on the website a little bit later on this week and, and you know, have it fleshed out in word form. But um, there, there's just a lot, a lot of players that I, I think are on this list that your average kind of casual player m- might be eschewing this year or, or just glossing over one way or the other. Um, so guys that are going in, in the particular range that I'm talking about, uh, Cordell Patterson, Christian Kirk, and, and Rashad Penny. So uh, you have the floor. Uh, I'd prefer if you open it up uh, talking about Cordell Patterson. Yeah, so it, granted, he would be a little more conventionally valuable in full point PPR and underdog it's half point. So maybe that's kind of the tie-breaking, souring point for a lot of people who might otherwise consider Patterson. But I think he's still going too late. I often get him. I mean, I, I, I might have took him a couple times in the late ninth or something like, or maybe even early ninth. I don't know. I have, I have no problem taking him anywhere in the first, like, seven rounds if I'm making personal rankings. Uh, but because he was always there in the tenth, I, I generally got him there and sometimes even, I think, late tenth. So that's just strange to me because even if you don't think Patterson is very good, I happen to think he is, which is, I guess, some of the other disclaimer I should offer there. But even if you don't think he's good, the Falcons are committed to him, at least to start the year. And I don't know why that would not be the case, you know, throughout the year, unless he got hurt because the production was there to, I think a pretty convincing extent. And they've been giving him basically OTAs off training camp off. They're, they're giving him the kind of rest that you do when you have a veteran running back that you basically are dependent on when you're like, we don't really know what the hell we're going to do if this guy gets hurt. So we cannot let him get hurt. That's how they are handling Patterson right now. So it's one thing to say that you might think he's a flash in the pan that last year's success was kind of just a fluke, but even if, I mean, that's literally in his Twitter name, isn't he like C flash 84? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, it's, it's a weird thing too, with the 84, maybe that throws people off. Maybe they got like bad nightmares about Ty Montgomery in Green Bay or something like that. Uh, understandable enough, but the, the thing you got to understand with, with Patterson is that the production that he showed last year was not exactly, uh, I know I keep going to the to the BABIP analogy in football, uh, but I have to. People look at Patterson and they see the points per game, the fantasy points per game, and they think like, oh, well, that's, that's going to come down. If he's an everyday player, that's coming down. You know, his, his BABIP's 430, that's going to drop 120 points. It's, it's coming down, he's going to regress. But when you look at his numbers, there's more, there's sooner uh, reason to believe for actual growth in his yards per carry. I mean, the touchdowns might not be there quite as much yet. He, he had his yards per carry dragged down by a lot of short yardage red zone carries that don't really suit him. That might go mm-hmm. to like Damian Williams and Tyler Algier. However, he got hurt playing that way. And I think keeping him out of those, those high impact collisions will extend his, uh, the, the, the snap count that he can play over the full year, basically. And he, he will get more big plays if a bigger percentage of the carries that he does take are more between the twenties than within the red zone. So uh, he had, for instance, six touchdowns on 153 carries last year at 4.0 yards per carry. He had no 40 yard carries though. And if he's, if he's trading off, you know, two or three of those six touchdowns in exchange for getting his yards per carry up to like 4.8 or five, I take that 
especially if it means that it's less likely that he gets hurt for it. Meanwhile, as a pass catcher, he was, I know there was that one big play that he had uh, that kind of juiced it a little bit. So we might expect these 7.9 yards per target to drop to like six and a half or something like that. But even if so, for the kind of person app target rate that he has, that ranks among the best in the league. So with Patterson, whatever other concerns people have, I think it's shaping up that his usage is going to be, you know, the Atlanta Falcons version of what we see with Austin Eckler, the Chargers, Swift with the Lions. Uh, I think what ETN will prove to be with the Jaguars. And I think the skill and, uh, you know, decreased uh, like team offense uh, capital are, are not enough to, to dictate the just difference in ADP between those players. Like Patterson is riskier. Yes. But his upside is understated in the 10th round and his risk is overstated. I think um, he averaged more yards per snap uh, yards from scrimmage per snap than Austin Eckler did. It was, it was 2.55 yards from scrimmage per snap from Patterson. And that's, that's a very high number, especially for a guy who doesn't get many carries. Like when you're, when you're over 2.3, 2.4 yards from scrimmage per snap, you're generally talking about guys who are 18, 20 carry running backs. And Patterson, because it's easier to get a yard every snap when you're out there getting carries every snap you're out there. Like there's with passing plays, uh, you're not getting a carry, which is automatic yardage. And you might get, you might not get the target because there's four or five guys running routes. The targets that you do get, you might only catch three out of four, four out of five, something like that. So for Patterson to have that 2.55 while getting so much of his work from scrimmage as a pass catcher shows that he was basically playing at a high level. It was not, fake numbers. He was just playing really well. And now he's going into this year with the team dependent on him. So uh, I think he has no meaningful risk in the 10th round. And I'm pretty glad to have 50% exposure as reckless as it is. And correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't he going several rounds earlier than that? Like way back earlier in draft season or he might have been. I, be I don't there? really remember. Um, either way. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, Similar, so I, I get him and, of course, Rashad Penny in, in the same range. I basically, when I wasn't taking one, I was taking the other. It's the only, it's how I got mm-hmm. to uh, roughly 50-50 exposure between the two. Uh, I love Penny, obviously. He's a very different sort of player than Patterson. You might even say he's sooner the opposite. Uh, the injury risk is more emphatic with, with Penny. And if he needs target if, he, if he's if he's not getting carries he won't produce you know with Patterson if he's not getting carries he can still produce and Penny admittedly that's not really on the table I think he could be okay as a pass catcher but he's he's not going to make up for the for the lost rushing production uh, as a pass catcher so is is there going to be you know sort of like what we've talked about with, with Kenneth Walker and the, the sort of non-applicable uh, pass catching grade coming out of Michigan State. Do you envision this Seattle offense really using the running backs in the passing game much to begin with? It. I don't know. I mean, they keep DJ Dallas around, and I know he was vaguely productive as a pass catcher last year, but I think that he just isn't very good personally. And uh, I, I think they should try to get Dallas off the field to get, if, even if Penny is the clear starter, I think they should try to get Ken Walker prepped to take some of the targets from Dallas. Cause I think the Dallas targets were more just like what happens when the defense leaves him open and Russell Wilson takes just kind of the free play. They never really demonstrated volume or any sort of convincing threat with Dallas. So uh, the more Dallas plays, the worse the Seattle offense looks to me. And but that's, that's a, uh, that's an impressive feat. Uh, I think it's going to be one of the worst watches uh, of any. Yeah, the, the way they're going to play is ugly as hell, and they they want to make the game short so that it comes more likely down to you know one play 
because uh, they, they might be lucky on one play. They're not going to be as lucky if they have to be lucky 10 plays in a row, you know? So they want to run the ball a lot. Even if they're losing, they're going to be running the ball. I mean, I, I, I don't know why this, there's this, you know, just true truism out there in fantasy football now. It's like, if your running back is on a losing team, he's never going to get carries. Have you ever seen a team with a quarterback so bad that they just run the ball even when they're losing? I have. It, it, the Seattle offense might be another one of those. No, we because like the uh, you know the other side of that argument would be like why isn't Drew Locke way up your rankings if like they're going to be trailing by a lot every single game? Isn't he going to have all the pass right. attempts people, in the world? People act like uh, they, they love these new macro analyses that flatten all the outliers. So there's basically just this massive blob of dots and no no real way to separate it all. Uh, but not everything works the same in every case. Like yes, some teams abandon the run. Pete Carroll doesn't. It's as easy as that. I love blobs of dots. And uh, yeah. I went to an establishment in Deep Elm the other week called Dots. Good place if you're ever in the in the Dallas, Texas area. Um, move, <laughs> uh, mo- moving forward, uh, let's see. who. So we were also talking about Penny. Uh, Christian Kirk. Um, so the, the kind of presumed uh, wide receiver one there in Jacksonville, is that just more an expression of trying to get um, that that – get exposure to that uh, number one target for Trevor Lawrence, who we expect to, you know, maybe to, or not maybe take a step forward uh, th- this coming season, or is there, you know, some added things when it, when it comes to Kirk and, and your analysis with him that, that makes you particularly confident to get a lot of shares? I don't have any delusions about Kirk being like a 110 catch player or anything like that. But I think the fact is people have at least a couple false premises underlying their reasoning on him, which is, which comes out to just kind of be wrong due to misunderstanding the kind of player he is. And I, I imagine what some people, even smart, I could imagine a lot of them uh, not taking Kirk because he has a pretty low, uh, modest at most, per snap target rate in his NFL career. And I think people just don't understand that he was playing out of position for at least that first year or two. Uh, before Cliff Kingsbury got there. And then when Cliff Kingsbury got there, he still played outside until Larry Fitzgerald was gone. Last year in the slot, even finally playing the correct position, the correct alignment in the slot, they were using Kirk at depths that didn't really suit his skill set. They were still using him as a downfield receiver, the kind of routes that will better suit Marquise Brown, by the way, not to go off on too much of a tangent. But if you're running from the slot and you have Christian Kirk there, you want to have that average depth of target more around like eight, maybe nine yards, not 10 plus yards. Uh, not running, you know, 15-yard posts over and over and over. Kirk was a underneath yards after the catch monster in college, and he has not once been used in that capacity in the NFL. So I am making a leap of faith, assuming that the Jaguars are going to be the first ones to do it, that they're going to make him a slot, uh, not specialist necessarily, but a heavy emphasis in the slot and heavy underneath emphasis rather than downfield emphasis. And people, people have completely lost sight of how Kirk is actually really good after the catch. He hasn't been able to show it in Arizona because they haven't set him up with after the catch looks and the catches that he did get, it would tend to be like a safety's closing in on him. Cause it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's thrown through a tight window down the seam by Kyler Murray and a safety's closing in. So he doesn't do much after the catch because the defenders closing in on the catch point. But when you set him up in space, he's a, he's a menace after the catch. Christian Kirk was probably the best punt returner in NCAA history. No one remembers this. He has like eight touchdowns or something 
on like 25 return attempts. Yeah, his, his first his first game, true freshman against Arizona State, just yeah, just absolutely took over. That was average over 20 nuts. yards per punt return in his career. It's like that is a player who is good after the catch. You cannot be good uh, that good of a punt returner and be no threat in the open field. It's a, it's an absurd suggestion. So mm-hmm. uh, if the Jaguars just start to use him that way, then he will draw a higher person snap target count than the people who are basing you know their models on drawing from these these different alignments, different route depths, where he won't draw targets as fast. Now he's going to run a totally different game, and I don't know if many people are anticipating that. So uh, I happen to think he's underrated as a player. I think Trevor Lawrence is underrated as a player. I think that it's under-acknowledged the target share that Kirk is going to get in this offense. And he, with all of that being the case in my mind, is going pretty late. You don't even really have – it's not like you have to bid high to get in on a fad player. He is not a fad player. People don't want him even now. You get him in like the eighth round. Uh, there's, there's usually like two or three people at most in a draft looking to get him. Uh, you'll never have to take him far ahead of ADP. So I'm, I'm glad to get him on, on almost half of my teams. So you, you mentioned the, the type of role and, and type of route tree depth of target that, that Kirk is going to have just, just like expounding a bit on, on this Jaguars offense. I mean, you do have Trevor Lawrence has a great arm, obviously who is going to be the, the proverbial downfield guy in, in this offense? Is it Zay Jones? Uh, I don't think they have one. And I don't know if they understand that. I don't know if they planned accordingly. I kind of doubt it. At least bulky didn't. I, I like Doug Peterson. And I think Doug Peterson is going to, he's, he's a pragmatic guy. He, he's not really going into any situation, like caring about the politics of, uh, you know, we got to, we got to make Marvin Jones look good. So Trent Balky doesn't feel like the moron he is for signing into it. Like that's not really on Doug's Doug doesn't care about that. So uh, Marvin Jones is the weak spot. They need to get him off the field. He's killing them. Uh, if they get Marvin Jones off the field and even replace him with Treadwell, I think that's an upgrade. Uh, but Zay Jones, I think will be useful just kind of on a occasional basis, you know, uh, underneath not that much downfield not much in the intermediate like he can't play in traffic he needs he needs to get the space and he can kind of get space for himself underneath especially in off against off coverage and he can get he's he's got that four four five speed which is kind of just fast enough to beat slow corners but he can't run past fast corners or even average speed corners so uh evan ingram is actually the fastest player from scrimmage uh in in the jaguars starting uh lineup so he, he had the four four two forty, whereas Kirk was a four four seven, and uh, uh, Zay Jones was the four four five. Etn might be the answer in practice because yeah. he's and not that they're throwing so far downfield specifically so much as like he can just pull away from a defense like very few players ever could. Uh, but before we fully uh, expound on Etn, I want want to get to him be, and, and James Robinson because th- those are two guys on on your high exposure list. Uh, going back to Seattle for a second, Julia wants to know. Uh, you know, with Seattle uh, being behind very often outside of DK Metcalf, do we think that there's room for someone like a Noah Fant uh, to maybe emerge as, as an option and n- not overtaking Tyler Lockett necessarily, but being someone that, that you know, for your maybe set, if you're skewing tight end, second tight end, or, or maybe even your third with, with one of your last picks, it, it, does Fant have any interest to you? Yeah, I haven't gotten too many picks of him. I think because I'm usually I've usually took Albert Equagbenum uh, shortly before he goes, and I often just wait on Evan Ingram, who goes a little bit later than Fant most of the time. But Fant's a totally good player, and Geno Smith is going to be better at throwing to the middle of the field and underneath than Russell Wilson was. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see that the Seahawks use Fant 
Like they basically haven't used any tight end uh, during the entire Russell Wilson era. So yeah, I like Fant. I don't think he can hurt you at all. I think he's one of the better value tight ends. I, I do wonder about the ceiling though. Okay. All right. So d- just a little bit of, of floor. Good, glue guy. Good depth, I think. Yeah. yeah, there you go. If nothing else that there is that, and it's not like you're uh, wasting anything in the top, like what, like 14 rounds. You won't have um, a Johnny Smith season, you know. <sighs> that was that's tough. I'm I'm still smarting, still smarting from that one. Yeah, I hate them. <laughs> uh, they're, now they're out getting in fights with the Panthers all the time. It's hmm, ridiculous. Has Bill Belichick lost control? Uh, many are wondering. Um, is, is hiring Matt Patricia and Joe Judge to run your offense as a as a committee <laughs> as a lack of sort institutional of... control? I don't know. Uh, that's that's what I like to call a brain trust, man. That's that's just a lot of minds uh, working, a lot of gears the churning. Seven meeting, yeah, yeah pretty good. Um, Mensa convention, I don't know, MIT, other words. Um, anywho, James Robinson, Travis Etienne. Obviously, that they, they aren't going in the same part of the draft. I scooped Etienne uh, this morning in, in a best ball draft over on uh, DraftKings. I got him uh, late second. Uh, how much? ETN do you have? And then, you know, what's the, what's the theory on having a lot of James Robinson as well? Do you, are you combining them at, with Robinson as sort of, you know, the de facto handcuff or is it, I'm either getting ETN early in this particular draft, or I'm going to wait and I'm going to grab James Robinson. Um, you know, once we get into the 11th, 12th round. I have exactly 50% exposure on both ETN and James Robinson, which I'm, which I'm thrilled about. Um, sometimes they have been on the same team, not so much lately. That was something that I do more, uh, back when people thought James Robinson was, uh, I don't know, going to get cut or something. And, uh, so like, for instance, I got James Robinson as a running back six in the 18th round, the final round of one draft. I don't remember if I had ETN earlier in that one. I probably, I don't know. I don't really know if I did. Uh, but when, when Robinson was going in the, uh, I don't know, anywhere from the 12th onward, I actually think he's. Not not as like a handcuff logic, but because his functions are so clearly delineated from ETNs, I almost saw it as getting a running back from a different team anyway. It's like normally the mm-hmm. handcuff is a zero sum kind of logic. You know, it's like this guy will be good only if the guy that I already drafted sucks. But I think ETN and Robinson all along have needed a coexisting kind of vision to, for the Jaguars offense to make any sense. So I, like I see a lot of people this morning with with more. Uh, James Robinson, good news coming in from practice. See some people on Twitter like, oof, t- tough, tough news for those who took ETN. It's like, man, I've been taking them both the entire time. I don't know what you're talking about. ETN is not a 20 carry running back. If he is, he's getting hurt, and I wish I didn't take him. But if he's getting 10 carries a game, and if there's another 15 for James Robinson, that sounds great. That sounds like one of them. That's, that's going to work. And I, I think Balky did it by accident, but it will work by having ETN and James Robinson on the field. For the same exact reasons Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram worked, it's it's not unconventional. This has already been done, and it and it and absolutely can work. And I think both those guys are, are talented enough to to make it work. Uh, did you catch any of Etn uh, in the Jaguars' most recent preseason game? He the stat no. line was, was nine nine carries for twenty three yards, and then catching uh, one of three targets for for ten yards. So obviously not explosive output, but again, it's the preseason. I, no, yeah, I, really I saw worried. ETN in practice and he looked good, so I don't care. Uh, I feel like my my really big fan, uh, Crack Shot, uh, wants to talk about preseason. And uh, I don't know if this is his first time paying attention to the NFL or just forgot the last uh, lessons 
of previous years. But uh, you know what? Uh, if, if anyone thinks like Brian Robinson is going to take over the Washington backfield because he had a two yard carry on a pretty much like untouched uh, touchdown uh, in week one against the week one of the preseason against the Panthers. Uh, how did, how did it work out with your Terrace Marshall props last year? How, how, how did, uh, how did the unders on Jamar chase work out for you? Like preseason doesn't matter. If you're evaluating players on preseason, you've just lost you you are, you are a confused person if you only know them from the preseason. So uh, ETN's preseason stats don't mean anything to me. It's, it's, it, it means about as much as stats from like a joint practice or something, which those also don't matter. Correct. They they do not. They just if his don't. foot looks okay, I just do not care. Etn is a star. It's not a question to me. Yeah, I mean, we, we you know with Etn, you got four years of incredible sample at, at Clemson, uh, not doing a lot in in a preseason game as the offense is getting itself together. Uh, that that's not going to that doesn't carry equal weight or even close to it. Doesn't carry really any weight. Um, let's move on over. KJ Hamler, interesting guy. Obviously, with after unfortunately Tim Patrick uh, suffered his injury, he m- moves theoretically into a much more prominent role. At, at, how much Hamler were you getting pre uh, training camp starting in, in the Tim Patrick injury, and, and you know at the new um, ADP, are you still buying in bulk? So KJ Hamler is a little, it might be a lot more easily utilized in best ball. For a lot of reasons, I guess just the kind of player he is. First off, the role is is kind of sparse, even with Tim Patrick out of the picture. Uh, it's it's not clear, obviously, how Hamler is going to produce in general. And guessing ahead of time on a week to week basis might not be that easy either. But in best ball, and especially on uh, underdog, where it's half point PPR instead of full point, it turns into kind of a a little bit of a Marquise Brown kind of thing where he becomes more valuable than he would be in PPR because he is a big play receiver rather than a high target volume one. And he's the type of big play threat who's going to score more touchdowns than people think. Like it would not be shocking at all to me if KJ Hamler led the Broncos in receiving touchdowns this year, not with like 14 or something, but like someone on that team could lead them with eight or nine receiving touchdowns. And KJ Hamler is a totally good candidate to do that on as few as like 45 catches. So I think he is a low target volume guy. He's going to have some dud weeks. Like if, if that moonshot that Russell Wilson throws two or three times a game is incomplete two times, then he might have one catch for 25 yards. You know, that kind of thing is a risk with him. Uh, sure. But because he is such a high touchdown uh, threat, I think on a per target basis, and then this being best ball, I think he's, he's like a ideal roster glue guy. in, in uh, like the 13th round, I got him sometimes in like the 14th, 15th. I'm still taking him in the 13th. But the uh, sorry, I meant to say, the other concern with him is uh, aside from like the low target rate, maybe in the inconsistency that comes with that is he is coming back from a pretty big knee injury himself. And he even now is not at full speed. So uh, we got three weeks before the season starts. Hamler began training camp off the PUP list. So I'm, you know, b- between having a full year to recover and the Broncos not putting him on the PUP list to open training camp, I am vaguely optimistic that they have some sort of rollout plan in mind for him and that he's simply going according to that plan, even though he's not mm-hmm. practicing yet. Uh, but I would like to see him get in practice pretty soon because he is literally on two thirds of my underdog team. Yeah, no, that, yeah. Some encouraging practicing practice reports would, would uh, take you off, off tilt watch there, but uh, I definitely am, am buying the theory that, that you're putting forward uh, on, on Hamler, really an exciting player when he's out there on the field. 
Uh, let's go ahead and shift gears. So th- those are guys that you're able to get on half your teams, two thirds of your teams, that that sort of thing. But that's because they go later in drafts. Uh, let's go to some more, um, you know, highly valued uh, commodities as far as their draft slot is concerned. So uh, you have a good bit of Kyle Pitts that that won't surprise anyone that that's listening. But but two names that also stuck out to me that that I want to hear you. Um, talk a little bit more about Saquon Barkley and, and CD lamb. I feel like I, I haven't heard. No one's really saying a whole lot about CD lamb. It, it, you know, I think that there's been so much uh, hemming and hawing about what, you know, what they're going to do with their second receiver that we've kind of forgotten. N- not that the ADP reflects it necessarily because CD lamb is still someone that, that goes in the second round um, in most drafts, but among those, the top 24 players in fantasy, I feel like, like the, the just general Twitter buzz is, is arguably the most mom on him. Yeah. Maybe he's just such an easy evaluation that people are kind of moving on to more exotic subjects. It, it seems about as simple of a projection as possible. Like the target share uh, that CD lamb is about to inherit is not often seen. And, and you know, with a player of his talent, it, it could be a pretty explosive combination, even if the Dallas team offense more broadly kind of struggles, which I, I think they will. I think if they're really going to give Dalton Schultz like eight targets a game, then they're going to punt a lot more than they realize. Uh, but even if they do, I think it sets up to have a lot of these second half scripts where Dallas is down, you know, nine, eight, whatever, whatever two score account they're down where they, they still have this false uh, flicker of hope that they might catch back up and the defense is playing prevent. And they, they always do that thing where they get within, uh, one or two points, uh, sorry, uh, four points or five points, never three or less. And they have that last drive where they have the fourth and seven from the 25 or whatever, and they, they go three and out and then they lose. That's something that Dallas is just elite at setting oh, yeah, up over and over and over. And imagine those scenarios with no Cooper, uh, no Gallup to start some amount of the season maybe. And, and CeeDee Lamb in his third year, better than he's been in his first two years when he was already one of the best receivers in the league. I actually like, I of course prefer Justin Jefferson probably for the yardage title, the receiving yardage title, but for the odds, CeeDee Lamb is my favorite because he's probably, what, like sixth or seventh or something in the odds, and he's I my second favorite. One second. Keep he's going. my second favorite bet because he could, imagine like the garbage time that this guy could have with no other viable pass catchers in the offense. It's not something you see that regularly, so um, yeah, I think he could have a perfect combination of just like maximum usage both in both succeeding in contested situations and kind of prevent situations. I, I think he could really pile up numbers. Yeah. Uh, CD lamb has the uh, sixth highest uh, yardage over under. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if that's, if that's receiving specifically, I really like that one. Cause he, again, Dallas could kind of have a bummer year and CD lamb could put up like 1700 yards. And he, you can get that at plus fourteen hundred over over on DraftKings. That's where you'll you'll find the best odds for for that one. Justin Jefferson, unsurprisingly, leads it, but plus eight hundred still not a terrible. Uh, yeah, there's a, terrible there's, there's a lot of ways it could go. So yeah, it's it's uh, not not any not like any uh, solid bet exactly, but I'm I'm very curious about it because I I think people are a little under aware of of Lamb and how good he is and how dependent Dallas is on him this year. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I've, I've so often lately 
but by kind of virtue of where I've lucked into my draft slots, I've gotten a lot of Justin Jefferson with my first pick. So I'm usually not going receiver in, in, uh, in my second. I wish I could get both of them somehow. It's just impossible. That would be the, the full on electric factory, but uh, alas, uh, the, yeah. the markets are, are too sharp. Now. Yeah. It's, it's like CD lamb is my wide receiver one in uh, practice, basically, you know, 27.8% at a much higher price. Then my uh, wide receiver three, Christian Kirk, uh, my, my wide receiver four, KJ Hamler. Uh, Kyle Pitts is my number one tight end in practice, as you said, because of the, the, the equal 27.8 there. But uh, Juju Smith-Schuster might be my sort of wide receiver two if, if we're keeping that same like price versus volume variable going. And I, I'm happy about that. I, I really like the way his season is setting up. I have him at 27.8%. And uh, Saquon, I... I I think I got him a couple times in like the late second a few months ago, and I still am curious to take him in the top 14 when I have picks there. So pretty happy to have him at 27.8. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm in on a good bit of those guys as well. I don't have a ton of juju just now, um, but I, I feel like I need to uh, rectify that, especially after after this discussion. Yeah, and there were you know, a lot we of analysts- the Chiefs offense. There's people on Twitter and whatever who posting stuff about like take Marcus Valdez Scantling, fade Juju. Look at how much more guaranteed money Marcus Valdez Scantling has in his contract. I, I really hope no one, uh, no one, no one viewing or listening listened to those people. Well, uh, I'm sure that uh, that they have those uh, tweets ready to to get uh, like self destructed in in week one, like Tom Cruise's uh, sunglasses in Mission Impossible too. Um, I just watch yeah, that. I mean, I, I hope so. Otherwise, uh, who is it? Like, Fusu's going to start retweeting them or something. <laughs> I don't know what Heidi is on that, but uh, you got you to gotta watch out in these streets. Yeah, if you, if you see that pop up on your Twitter notifications, something has gone um, horribly awry. Um, but I think that pretty much covers everything uh, as far as uh, the best ball exposure uh, for right now uh, con- uh, is concerned. We'll, we'll, I'm sure before week one, uh, talk about kind of our, our final uh, numbers as it goes into that. And I'm going to get a, a bunch more uh, best ball in here so I can add some more exposure or my profile as well. I'm at like five or six right now. So not nearly enough. Uh, we'll, we'll get more. We'll, we'll get it. We'll push her well into the double digits. So we, we can have some good back and forth on that. But enlightening stuff, as always, from you, Mario. Uh, that's going to do it for us here. For Mario Puig, I'm John McCagney. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire. Fantasy Football Podcast, again, brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.